can turn to John 13. I'm going to be uh, just reading a couple verses and we'll just kind of walk through that. But before we do, I want to uh, set up the passage a little bit and understand what Jesus is talking with the disciples about in John chapter 13. And so as we look at our passage, one of the things that, that is really interesting about today's culture and about church is that we could ask 10 different people to answer the question, what is a Christian? And most likely we'll, we'll probably get about five to 10 different answers, right? So if we were to break up into groups this morning, groups of five, you'd probably get five different answers because there's many ways to define it and explain what it is to be a Christian. A lot of people have different opinions. Some say I am because as a kid, it, you know, I, I prayed that one prayer at camp. I, I got baptized or I took, a, I took a class and I was told after that I was a Christian. For some, it's because they attend church faithfully or they have a list of to-dos and they follow them perfectly. And others say, I am a Christian because it says so on my Facebook. <laughs> and there's many different ways that there, there are to define and explain being a Christian. Some say, I'm not a Christian Because of other Christians. I I like this Jesus guy, but I'm not sure about these guys who who use the word Christian. Others say because it doesn't really fit their lifestyle. They, They like the term, they like the idea, but it doesn't really fit the lifestyle that they're trying to build. And others say I'm not a Christian because of a really weird experience. And you have a whole story to go along with it that just makes everyone's jaw drop. And so we can explain the word Christian in so many different ways. Even us here in a room, if we were to split up, it would totally find that we would see different opinions, different ideas, and on and on it goes. So there's many ways to explain it. But here's the interesting thing about the term Christian, is that there's actually nothing in the Bible that tells us about how to live a Christian life. Because here's the interesting thing. The term Christian, stick with me here, I'm not trying to teach you heresy, but the term Christian is actually only used in the Bible three times. And we don't see it until Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, we see this term come up, but the word that describes those that are followers of Christ is actually a term that if you and I were to truly follow it this morning, if we were to latch onto this term of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to, to fully follow it, to live according to it, and open God's word and say, we're going to apply our lives to being followers of Christ according to this word, then our lives would absolutely, dramatically change. Our lives would never be the same if we were to apply this word as one who follows Christ. And that word is disciple. Disciple. And so we see in Acts chapter 11, right? If you've read the book of Acts, you know that the church is growing and in the the midst of growth is persecution, right? If we learn anything from the early church is that in the midst of growth, there's always persecution, Because Jesus is being proclaimed and and lives are being changed. And so these disciples are gathered teaching people to live out the word. And in Acts 11 verse 26 it says, And in Antioch, the disciples were called Christians. And so here's the interesting thing. This wasn't the Christians. These were the disciples. Not the apostles, remember. Jesus is 11. 
But these were the disciples, those that truly followed Christ, and they were called Christians. And so it was actually a derogatory term used, right? So like, for example, if you grew up in school and you saw the people that knew math perfectly, they played chess, they played pong in their basement and never came out and saw the light, right? Those were probably geeks or nerds. It was a derogatory term to define this group of people. And it's the same that we see in Acts 11, that the disciples were called Christians. And so here's the difference that we, that we see from this, is that a Christian life was one that defined someone as identifying with Christ. But a disciple was one that was fully devoted to Christ. Fully devoted. So here's what it meant if you were a disciple. It, it meant that in every situation, every confrontation, every relationship, every opportunity, and, and, and even every financial decision was faced where a disciple would look to Jesus and say, I have this situation, how would you handle it? And whatever Jesus' answer was, the disciple would say, that's how I'll handle it. Because a disciple was someone who was fully devoted to Jesus. And so as we see these different terms in here, we look at Acts or, or John chapter 13, and Jesus is giving one of his final instructions to the disciples. And he's saying, listen, as you go forward and you learn to live as my disciples, here's something I want you to apply. And so we'll pick up in verse 33, and it says this. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now I'm just going to stop there for a second, because can you imagine sitting with Jesus in this moment, right? They've heard earlier before Jesus quote the Old Testament that says, love others of yourself, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So they've heard this before, and he's saying, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And, and you can just picture like all the overachievers in the room being like, okay, I better write this one down. Like what's different? You know, like super confused and trying to follow along. And here's where we see that it's different. That we would love one another. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus finds this new commandment so important, in fact, that he repeats himself three times. Because he says, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. So as we look at this concept of love, our, our perspective often is to think of, you know, like Hollywood, hot pink love. You know, like I say, I love my wife. And then I also say, I love cheeseburgers. Right? I love donuts. And, and we have like this, this misinterpretation of the word love. But the love that Jesus is talking about is one that is applied. So this morning, what I want to do, if you're, if you're taking notes, is give you three examples of how this love is made visible in a life of a disciple. And the first, if you're taking notes, is that love is made visible through disciples modeling Christ. Love is made visible through disciples modeling Christ. 
And so when Jesus gives this new commandment, right, he's, he's quoting Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling them, listen, I want you to love this way. But what appears to be new is that Jesus says, I want you to love as I have loved. I mean, imagine that. The Messiah had not yet come. No one had ever loved the way that Jesus was loving. And so it gave the disciples a whole new perspective, a whole new idea on what it meant to love one another. And it was through modeling after Christ. But here's the thing that we need to remember as disciples who would choose to model Christ is that it is a process. It is not something that you are going to go, man, I'm going to go out from here. I'm going to model Christ and everything is going to be better. Because here's the thing, there's often a conflict between what we want and what God wants for us. There's often a conflict because we're, we're battling with our flesh because in our, in our culture, what we learn is that we need to get noticed, be better and do more, right? That's the motto of, of work life. That's the motto of happy family life, of, of good settled financial life. We need to get noticed, be better and do more. But what we learn from Jesus, just a little bit earlier in chapter 13, is that we need to be servants. The modeling Christ begins with being servants. Because before Jesus gives this new commandment, he washes the disciples' feet. He takes the lowest job on the totem pole, the lowest task to serve really weird dudes, right? A group of fishermen, tax collector, to show them how to model who he was. But I don't know about you, we, we often don't want this, right? I mean, I mean for me, I don't want to be on the, the lowest of the lowest, and that's, that's a struggle. We want to be lead, right? Even if, even if we're the, the second to the lead, right? We want in some way to be there, to be the focus. But the truth is, it's not about you, and it's not about me. Modeling Christ has nothing to do with you. And we see this, A.W. Tozer said this so amazingly. He said, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, and still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. We're still trying to be number one. And so you can never model Christ if you're trying to model after yourself. In fact, modeling after yourself and trying to take control in your life will always face you with the truth that you make a crummy God. Right? The more we try to take control, the more we try to model after ourselves, it shows us that we make crummy gods. But here's why, here's why this is good news. Because it lets us off the hook if we would be devoted disciples, the model Christ, it lets us off the hook from trying to get noticed, be better, and do more. So disciples that model Christ are in the process of letting go of themselves, right? It comes back to surrender, of absolutely letting go. And as we let go and as we surrender to, to model after Christ, the second thing in your notes is that love is made visible through disciples active in grace. And here's what I believe is really important when we talk about grace, because I think often in church, we, we take two extremes. Grace means we highly condone 
and we just allow anything to take place without, without true and healthy biblical discipline or grace is something that is rarely given because we're so quick to point out the sin. We think that's, that's the model of grace. But disciples that are active in grace experience both. Grace that is extended and grace that is received because Christ modeled this for us. And here's the funny thing. We, we see this passage where Jesus gives the disciples this new commandment and then we see the setup of Jesus being active in grace. And in John 13, verse 36 through 38, it says this. Simon Peter asked him, this is right after he gives the new command, Lord, where are you going? You know, I've always felt like Peter is the guy that, that if he had a band back in the day, he would be called the next verse band. Because Peter always, he would hear something in the next verse, he just set himself up to fail, right? And so the next verse, right after hearing this commandment, Jesus says, go and love as I have loved you. And, and Peter's still stuck on, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I go? I wanna go where you're going. And rather than rebuke him, Jesus tells him this, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Peter's still not getting the point. <laughs> if you ever feel like you are beyond the grace of the cross, just read some text about Peter. And it just shows you how good our God is. And he says, I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? And Jesus tells him, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And so Peter fully missed the point. He didn't, he didn't get it. His mind wasn't focused on modeling Christ in this love. And then Jesus tells him, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna fail me. But notice that Jesus doesn't say it in such a way of saying, we're done. He doesn't disown him. But he also doesn't, ex- he doesn't condone the truth that there's an issue there. So Jesus extends grace to him. And, and God's grace is something that is so incredible and, and something that I believe that often we don't, we don't examine, we don't look more into. And, and maybe it's something that when you became a believer that, that you looked at and you were like, okay, man, I get it. And, and since then you've, you've forgotten. But God's grace is his love shown to you even though you don't deserve it. And, and you can't earn it. And he chose you and he doesn't regret it. That's God's grace. That, that it's, it's something free. His gift of salvation is absolutely free and you can't earn it. But that's hard for us. I mean, if you just sit someone down and say, listen, here's everything that you've done wrong and it's already covered. That's harder to take than sometimes taking the punishment. And Oswald Chambers says this about that. He says, there is a certain pride in people that causes them to give and give, but to come and accept a gift is another thing. He says, I will give my life to martyrdom. I will dedicate my life to service. I will do anything, but do not humiliate me to the level of the most hell-deserving sinner and tell me that I have to do, all I have to do is accept the gift of salvation 
through Jesus Christ. So Oswald Chambers points out the fact that this is a hard thing for us to be active in. It's, it's something that we need to struggle through almost. But here's what's really important about this is we look at the model of being disciples that make love visible is that without a heart transformed by the grace of Christ, we only continue to manage us being predominantly good. We only continue to manage us being predominantly good. And here's what I mean by this. When we see ourselves as predominantly good, doing okay, managing our sin, we're, we're doing all right. We, we haven't sworn today, right? We haven't, we haven't yelled at our kids. We haven't argued with our spouse. If we're, if we're viewing ourselves day in and day out as predominantly good, then that is what we begin to demand of others. But if we view ourselves in need of God's grace, of which we are, then we extend grace to one another and we demand nothing. And so as we pursue being active in grace as disciples, it begins with understanding that we need grace. We need God's grace that he extends to us that we then can extend to others and receive in return. And so the third thing is that love is made visible through disciples producing fruit. Love is made visible through disciples producing fruit. And Jesus tells this later in the conversation in John 15, verse eight. He brings it up about being active and being missional by saying, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. To bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here's the thing when it comes to bearing fruit, here's two things I think we need to understand about this. Is that one, pruning is necessary. You can ask any gardener, you can ask any person that has produced wine or worked in grape fields, and they will tell you one of the most critical things is that pruning is necessary. And I looked up the definition of pruning as it relates to the idea of, of the vine and the branches as Jesus was talking. And this thing really hit me, this paragraph that says, the practice of pruning entails targeted removal of diseased, damaged, dead, non-productive, structurally unsound, or otherwise unwanted branches from crop. It's the removal of those things. And so as we walk through our lives as disciples, we see that there is pruning that is necessary in the midst of producing fruit. That maybe for some of us, we just kind of feel stagnant right now. Like you feel like God's there, but maybe only when you open your devotional. Or you feel God's there, but maybe only at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And maybe for you, it's not that you'd need more time in your devotional, but maybe there are some things that need to be pruned away. Maybe there's some things that are structurally unsound. Maybe some things that are non-productive or, or absolutely dead that are causing you to not be able to produce fruit. And so pruning is necessary. For us as disciples to produce fruit, we need to understand that pruning is necessary. Necessary. 
and to produce fruit, we need to understand that it is a lengthy process. No person plants a tree and walks out the next morning and goes, man, I got apples. Let's get together and eat some apples. But it's a process, a process that we need to invest in. And the ministry that that I used to lead for young adults was called the vine. And so John 15 holds a dear place in my heart. And I remember studying just a couple months back on our last night of gathering before my transition here with you. And I just began to pray and say, God, as I get up to teach, what, what is it that you call us to do as in producing fruit? How is it that we do that? How does our lives consist of producing fruit? What, what is the model of doing that? What is fruit consist of? What does that mean for us? And through reading scripture, God just laid on my heart an acronym that I wanna share with you. Total homeschool moment right here. An acronym of the word fruit. And here's what, here's what God just laid on my heart. So this is not mine. You could steal it because it's God's. Is that fruit spelled out. F is for faith. R is for righteousness and relationship. U is for unity. I is for intercession. And T is for truth, which is the gospel. And God just laid those, those words, those five words on my heart and then, and then just simply and, and quietly because our God's so good, just laid on my heart that, that here's what fruit looks like. If it does not begin with faith, consist of unity and resolve with the truth of the gospel, then I'd argue that it probably isn't fruit at all and there needs to be some pruning that it would begin with faith, consist of unity and resolve with the truth of the gospel. And so we see in in all these things that this new commandment that Christ gives us to love one another is made visible through disciples that model Christ, are active in grace and produce fruit. But here's what I wanna do as as we close and we return to our time of worship is I wanna leave you on a question for you to ask yourself, to to allow for some application this week. It's for you to ask yourselves, am I a disciple who is devoted to Christ who shows that by loving others? Not the Hollywood hot pink love. (laughs) Not the kind of love that you relate to a favorite food, but active love through modeling Christ active in grace and producing fruit. Am I a disciple that is devoted to Christ that shows that by loving others? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you that we can so freely come to you. And Father, as we've read in your word that you call us to an active love, a love that is made visible truthfully through our action and through our relationship with you. So Father, I pray that as we go out from here, 
we would choose to love others as you have loved us. And in your name we pray. Everyone said, amen.